Hear the word of God from Luke 10, 1 through 21. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At, the time, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Waypoint. Now, if you're thinking this morning, wow, they're, uh, they're really pressing into this whole mission thing. Like they're talking about being sent. Like they're just, they're really going for it. I promise you, uh, we, we did this independent of each other. It just happened this way. Um, which maybe that tells you something, so, so be, be ready for it. Uh, but with, with the whole Dwell Initiative, with, with this announcement too, I was, I was thinking about this because uh, I, I wanted, and I wanted to, to comment on it just briefly because uh, my wife Sarah and I, we were actually part of Dwell. We actually did Dwell. This was before kids, which seems like a whole lifetime ago. Um, this was, but we did it for like four and a half, four, four, kind of four years. And, and I just want to say, if, if you're thinking about this, you're like, wh- like, what is this about? What is this for? Just as, a, as, as another testament, Dwell taught me the importance of living intentionally as a follower of Jesus to my community. 
It also taught me about the, the local church and, and to actually care about the local church. As, as I was coming out of college, I didn't really know the, the place of the, the church and the importance of the church in just ongoing discipleship, it, what, what role the church would play in my life, and also what it looks like to, to, to pursue real community, to pursue authentic, real community, that we did this together. Dwell helped clarify for me that I want to say yes to the mission of God. Dwell taught me to practice that yes. And so I commend it to you. All right, so let's take a hard turn back to, to Luke. And as, as we jump into Luke this morning, I want to provide some context for, for where we're headed. The past few weeks, we've been considering the identity and authority of Jesus. And we've been asking the identity question because if you don't get the identity question right, it's really going to make where Jesus is going difficult for you. I mean, it's already difficult, but if, if you don't get the identity question right, then where Jesus is headed will be unbearable. Now you may ask, well, where is he headed? And what's that got to do with me? Well, it's everything. And it has everything to do with you because we are called to follow him, which means we're going where he's going. We're going with him. So, if, if you have, you, so you have to consider his claims. There's lots of different ideas out there about who Jesus is. And we talked about this last week. Is, is Jesus Lord or is he a life coach? Is he the king of the cosmos or is he like a parent? Is he the savior of the world or is he just a respectable leader? You can ignore the advice of a life coach. You can sidestep parental provision. You've probably done it before. Martin Luther King Jr. was a respectable leader. But I don't know my life to him. I don't have an app on my phone looking at his, his writings. So which one is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh filled with power to bring salvation to the world. That's who Jesus is. Meaning the kingdom of God is near. He has brought it near through himself. And get this, Jesus desires to empower you to do the work with him. He's actually calling you on mission with him. You say, well, well, well some people are called. No, we're, we're all called. You say, no, 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 some, just some people are called. But even if you look at our text here this morning, I mean, go back to Luke 9, and you see a similar story. Jesus sent out the 12. He sent out his 12 apostles. And you're like, well, well, of course they're called. We all know that they are called. But then here in our text this morning, Jesus sends out the 72. And some scholars argue that, that the number 72 is significant because it pays homage to the table of nations in Genesis 10. And they think it's a precursor to what Jesus says to his followers in Acts 1.8. When he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying we are called to go out to the nations. All of us are called to this. You are called to be kingdom advancers wherever you are to the ends of the earth. And you know what? We actually, we can, we, you don't have to do it alone. We actually get to do this together. We're called to go together. Now, after the transfiguration, Luke's gospel shifts from who Jesus is to what Jesus does. 
He's headed to Jerusalem, and he sets his face on the cross. Right before this section that we had read this morning is a story about the cost of following Jesus. And it's a bit unsettling because you hear Jesus say things like, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And it's unsettling to hear this because, because it makes you ask the question, it makes you think, am I fit for service in the kingdom of God? Am I included? What what if I'm excluded from? What what if I'm not called? But when you read this in the larger context of Luke's gospel, you begin to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is about to send out more disciples. That's what he's doing. He's preparing. He's He's sending out more disciples. And he knows that the journey ahead is not an easy one. So he's commissioning and empowering them to be active participants in the mission of God. That's what he's doing. But listen... If Jesus is just an add-on for you, then you won't do what he calls you to do. He's just one more contested voice among many. If you're not totally bought into the person of Jesus, if you don't trust that Jesus is Lord, if you're not even open to the idea that he commands all things, it really means that you still have your sight set on the world as it is. You can take up the plow, but really you're looking back. You're looking behind you. You're not going to be involved. You're not going to stick with it. But if you are open to the idea that Jesus commands the cosmos, if you think that he actually has authority and the desire to change things, well, you are fit for service in the kingdom of God. You don't just believe in the work that he's doing. You believe in Jesus. You hope in his vision for the future because you believe it's not only worth fighting for, but that he can actually do it. So what follows in Luke 10 is Jesus sending out the disciples. And what I want you to notice in this passage is three things. Our our mission, our message, and our motivation. Our mission, our message, and our motivation. All of us are called. All of us should care about the kingdom of God drawing near to those who have not seen and heard. All of us should care about being an active witness in the kingdom, to life in the kingdom, what life in the kingdom looks like. What you cannot be is aloof. What you cannot have is an attitude that says, that's great. It's just not for me. I want it to happen. It'd be nice if it happened but I'm going to keep doing my own thing. If you do that, then you have functionally decided that Jesus Christ has good advice, but he is not Lord of my life. But if you decided that Jesus is Lord, then you're not only willing to take up the plow, you're you're looking ahead with joy and peace in your heart. You have decided that Jesus is who he says he is, and you're willing to quiet yourself to pause, to quiet yourself, to calm yourself in order to listen to him, to focus on him, having your sights set on Christ and what he is doing and what he's called to do, what his mission is, what he's bringing us into, the purpose that he's given us. So first, let's consider our mission. Our mission. In Luke 10, 2, we hear Jesus utter these famous words. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Now what Jesus is doing is sending out his followers two by two to be witnesses to his coming kingdom. They were to proclaim peace in the towns and to bring healing as a tangible sign that the kingdom of God has come near. When we hear Jesus say that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, we, we, we tend to assume that he's talking about global missions. And we feel some sense of guilt about this. We're like, that, that we're not doing more. But that's not really the thrust of what Jesus is saying here. That's not what he's, let me put it this way. If you have committed yourself to follow Jesus, then you have accepted that you're called. You should feel a responsibility to Jesus. You should feel some allegiance and loyalty to Jesus. You, you should consider, as you are living your life, Jesus, what have you called me to do? How have you called me to live? Where have you called me to go? You should be thinking that in that way. You should be living in that way. Because he is Lord. But the goal can't be to guilt trip you. Guilt trip you, you're already called. You've already committed to the work. To follow Jesus is to be on mission with him. You are to spread the peace of Christ to the ends of the earth, starting right here in the triangle. And the only reason why I say the triangle is because you have taken up residence here. For whatever reason, the Lord has called you here to this place at this time. I don't know why. I don't know how. But I'm assuming that most of you who are sitting here this morning have an address here in the triangle. So you must be called here. What is the Lord seeking to do through you here? You should be asking those questions. We are all called. Now notice again in verse two that Jesus ties being sent with asking the Lord of the harvest for favor. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So go strategize how to go get more people to join you. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. To follow Jesus means that you're ready to put your hand to the plow with your sights set on Christ and the advance of his kingdom. And when you go out into the harvest, it's God who gives the growth. God is more invested in the harvest than you are. If you think this won't happen without me, he is invested He is involved. He's at work. So when you're asking for more workers, you're actually asking for a greater yield of people willing to enter the kingdom of God. And in doing that, you're showing that you trust God to be faithful to his mission. Do you trust God to be faithful to his mission? Or are you living your life like he's uninvolved? Like this will happen without me. Because if you trust God to be faithful to his mission, you will ask him to supply the growth and you will trust what he provides. Now in verses three and four, Jesus says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In other words, he's saying, know that the work is hard and that it's also a matter of urgency. It's not the safest course of action. So be careful that you don't grow discouraged or distracted along the way. And later, Jesus instructs his disciples by telling them, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, 
Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. And as you hear that, I, I, I first I wonder what your experience has been like being welcomed by some and unwelcomed or not welcomed by others. Have you ever felt not welcomed because of what you believe? Or like you need to check your faith at the door when you enter into your workplace? Or into social discussions? Or into family gatherings? Sometimes things do get contentious and you think, I don't even know what to say here. Should I say something here? What, what do I do? But hear me. The greater lament is not that you feel rejected. The greater lament is if they reject the one who sent you. And so you continue to ask God to, to let it be different. You say, Lord, I want your kingdom to advance. Lord, I want your kingdom. Lord, I want more people to come into the kingdom of God. Lord, help me. What do I do? How do I do this? I mean, as verse 3 alluded to, we've been taught to expect trouble along the way. But we're still learning what it means to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of troubled times. And we are in the midst of troubled times. I mean, and it's one thing to know that, but to practice it with humble and patient endurance, that is another thing entirely. To actually let that be your experience. You say, I know that in my head, but how do I live this out? How do I embody that as one who is sent by God to be an ambassador for him where he's called me to? But then we remember the words of Jesus when he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus knows the cry of his own and he's called you. He will supply you with what you need. He will see you through. So take heart. He is with you every step of the way. Go to him. Ask him. Now, another thing. When we read Jesus' instructions in verse 11 about wiping the dust from their feet, they're, they're talking about incurring judgment. What they are communicating symbolically is separation from the peace of God. Separation from the peace of God. And I, and I know what you're thinking right now when you hear that. I know that strikes according to you, and you're going to want to ask, really? Is that true? Is that what Christians are supposed to think about those who don't share their views? We're just, we're just done with them? We just move on from them? That's it? Now, let's just pause here. Can I ask you to not be too quick to cast final judgment in either direction? Let me try to locate us here. You, you see, Christians want heaven. We do. And why wouldn't we? We want heaven. But we also must consider that there is a day of the Lord. That there is judgment. There is a reckoning. That justice will have its day. And so you see, the mission of, of Christ is, is, is urgent. But it's not rushed. 
There's urgency, but it's not rushed, and, we, and we, we need to know the difference. There's a brief story at the end of Luke 9 that, that helps us out here. At the very beginning of this journey to, to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples are rejected in a Samaritan village. They're not welcome there. And Luke 9:54 starts by saying, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And you're like, what? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Now, now it is profound to me that there's no other explanation given to clarify Jesus' rebuke. He doesn't say, here's, here's why he rebuked them. Here's what he said to them. It just says, he rebuked them, and then they moved on. And it's as if no other explanation was necessary. They got it. And what Jesus is saying is that the time is urgent, but don't forget what time we're in. Don't forget what time it is. Jesus is saying, my time is now, but I am opening up the floodgates of God's grace. The mission is urgent. That's why we can't linger. But Jesus began his ministry about the coming kingdom by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Meaning the time now is to offer peace while displaying Christ. The time now is when we're to love those who revile us. The time now is to seek justice for our city. The time now is to forgive those as Christ has forgiven us. We are invited to live as though Jesus is coming back. There will be a day of vengeance. But don't get this twisted. That is not this day. In fact, even in Luke 10, 12, when Jesus is talking about on that day, it will be more bearable. He's talking about a future day, the day of the Lord, and it is serious. But final judgment, that is God's prerogative, not yours. So trust him as the judge. You are not. Even Jesus' words at the cross are, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So we must heed the words of Christ while also learning to walk in likeness to Christ. Go and learn to do likewise. But the harvest that Jesus is talking about here is a now harvest. It's a care about the harvest now. He says, labor for the harvest now. Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. So why act like it's scarce? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Don't go to God as one who's in charge. Go to God as one who's under orders. He has blessed you. He has blessed you to be a blessing to others. One time when I was in college, I, I, I had a really bad sinus infection. I, I, I'm pretty sure that it was caused by the mold, the toxic mold that was growing in the, the bathroom beside me. It's probably what it was. Um, tried everything and nothing was really working. Uh, and so after a month of no progress, no getting better, getting worse, uh, I finally decided I should probably do something about this. And it, it seems like men seem to have a hard time caring for themselves. And I only make that blanket statement because it's easier to say everyone than, than just me. It might just be me. Um, so I went and thought, well, you know, I, I need somebody, to, I need a ride. So I went to our, our living room and some of my housemates were watching TV at the time. So I thought like, well, I, I don't want to bother them. So I'll just wait for a commercial. And I waited for a commercial. Commercial came, and I, I kind of said to the room, 
would, uh, would, would either of you guys mind taking me to the hospital? And, and I didn't mean it like, like oh, like this, it, you know, this is where the student health center was. Uh, but, the, but they took it as like, dude, of course we're going to, we, yes, we'll take you to the hospital. Why didn't you say something? It's like, well, you guys look busy. <laughs> like, you're watching TV. You see, Jesus instructs us to take the, his mission seriously. Because when you're living on mission, your life needs to make sense in light of the mission. You don't just ignore everything else, but you also need to get to the point. I think a lot of us are looking at people around us just watching commercials. And we're reluctant to say anything because we think, well, they look busy. They are busy. They are busy. People can be busy when the kingdom of God comes near. It's like a thief in the night. It's not a, it's not a day on the calendar. There's urgency in mission. And our lives should reflect that. But also know, as Peter came to understand, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he's calling us to We need to know our mission. We need to know what the Lord has called us to, and we need to seek him humbly as we go out. Second, we need to know our message. He has given us a message. We need to know it. And some people... Some people see this. We, we, are, we are called to be people of peace. We are called to go out with the peace of Christ. We are to offer, we are to extend the blessing of peace. And some people assume that being sent like this means that we're only to proclaim the gospel. Well, of course we're to proclaim the gospel. It's the most beautiful treasure the world has ever known. And you are carriers of it. But we're also to, to live as though the gospel were true. Because get this. We believe that it is. Look at this. In in this passage, Jesus' disciples are defined people of peace. People who show goodwill and hospitality towards them. Their message is a message of peace. That the kingdom of God has come near. You ask, well, well, is the gospel really still relevant? I mean, it seems like people don't don't really care. They seem uninterested. How, How do you even, like, enter into a conversation about it? And my question back to you is, is the gospel just a series of statements to affirm? Like, is that it? We believe these things, you believe these things, that's it. Like, it's more than that, right? Like, the gospel, the gospel changes you. It is livable. It gives you a hope. It gives you a future. Ones who have no future, that, that affects how you live. You live for the now. Those who have hope, they look to Christ. They live for what Christ is bringing about. And people start to encounter that even now. I've already mentioned this, but, but let me come back to it. Do you guys remember? This, this, is, this, is, this is going back to a little bit in Luke here, so, so forgive me. But do you remember when Jesus was first beginning his public ministry? He, he preached in the synagogue. He was in Nazareth. He pulled out the Isaiah scroll. I'm getting some people, some people. It, it, here's, here's what he said. He, he read these words to them. He, he read, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Interestingly, the next, the next part of verse 2 talks about the day of vengeance. Jesus doesn't read that part. Because he's, he's saying, that we're in the year of the Lord's favor. That's our time now. And he says, this is being fulfilled today. And we are still in today when this is being fulfilled. So, so do you mean to tell me in reading that, in, in thinking about that, in hearing what Jesus is doing about bringing the kingdom of God near, do, do you mean to tell me that people aren't longing for justice? That they aren't longing to be set free? That there's not some present darkness that arises? You, you don't think people are, are experiencing those things? You don't think they want those things? You don't think you bump shoulders with people who feel hopeless, who feel depressed, who feel restless, who are anxiously awaiting the sorrows of tomorrow? Have you, have you heard of rage rooms? Have you heard of a rage room? These are recreational rooms where for only $40, you can take a sledgehammer or a golf club and just release that anger and stress. And some of you are like, man, that sounds fun. <laughs> Maybe others of you are like, that sounds like I'm going to throw out my back. <laughs> Not only is there a need for hope, there's a market just to feel relief. And people will buy it in whatever way they can find it. So if you told them that there is a tomorrow coming when justice will reign, where every last worry and fear will evaporate, they would think that you were talking about a fantasy land. They would scarce believe you. How can that be? Not because they don't want it, but because they think it is impossible to find. You see, Jesus means to prepare these towns and these people for the good news of what's to come. We still labor to prepare people for this news. We do it with our words and we do it with the way that we love and seek to build up our neighbors and our communities. At the core of the message Christ has given us is a message of peace and joy. And those are not throwaway words. When we say, peace be with you, those are not empty greetings, but gospel blessing. That is an invitation for the salvation of Christ to be extended to you and to your household. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, gentleness, courage, empathy, and community. Of course you don't go out with just a message. You go out with deeds. You don't just go out telling people what they should believe. You go out healing. You go out loving, you go out serving, you go out showing practical love to your community, wherever, whether they believe Christianity or not. You do both. You speak the truth, you show the truth. You speak the truth, you show the truth. You live the truth, whether they believe it or not. And you live this way because you believe it. You don't hide it away. You live it out to be a blessing to others. Jesus has given you a message. He's called you to be a blessing. He's called you to go in peace, to make peace. To make peace with him and with others. You have encountered the goodness of Christ. Christ has taken up residence in you. And anywhere Christ has taken up residence, he has made peace. And the kingdom of God has come near. 
Christ says, vengeance is mine, but I have taken judgment upon myself and extended you the hand of the Lord's favor. Won't you receive my blessing of peace being advanced through my beloved? We need to know our message. We need to know what, 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 what we are called to do. Three, our motivation. Why, why do we do this? And this is where we're going to land the plane, our motivation. And this is important for us because what motivates us is what drives us. What motivates us will be what stabilizes us as we answer the call. In verse 17, the disciples come back and, and they're elated. I mean, they're overjoyed. They say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Do you hear what they're saying? Maybe they were a bit unsure at first, but, but now they've returned to who? They say the Lord, their Lord. Don't miss that. The Lord, they're coming back to the Lord of the harvest. And they have been wildly successful. What they're saying is, Lord, we saw even greater success than what you told us. Can you believe it? And Jesus says, yes, I have given you authority to overcome. I will bring the rulers of this world. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The power of the enemy will not be able to overtake you. But then Jesus makes this important correction in verse 20. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What Jesus is teaching us is don't base your success on your accomplishments. If you only look at the results as the basis of success, then you're really going to struggle. You have to be careful because this, this will be a struggle for you. If the stability of your life is measured by how good of a worker you are, how good of a parent you are, how good of a student you are, well, you're going to be up and down. It's going to control you. But instead, look to the fact that your name is written in heaven. Set your sights on Christ. That's the only way you become less self-focused. That's the only way you'll be free to serve him without fear of guilt or failure. That's the only way you'll free yourself from this incessant need to compare yourself or to validate yourself because you'll know that you are validated in Christ and you'll work to see others experience that too. You'll want it for them. You'll ask for it. Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in what you do. We're all called. We're all sent. We're all on mission together. We're all a part of this. He's saying, don't rejoice in what you do. Rejoice in who you are in me. Whenever you feel downtrodden, consider the immeasurable worth I have given you. Whenever you feel like you've succeeded, consider that your success has not added anything to my love for you. I wanted you before you contributed anything. God is saying, I don't make much of you so that you'll do much for me. You're, you're just not that important. But he says, I would send my one and only son to die in your place so that you could be counted among the citizens of heaven. And he looks at you and he says, you're just that important. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you, you, you know us, that you love us, that you give us purpose, that you call us to live for you. You've, give us, you've given us new sights. We don't look at the world as it is, but we have been called to look at the hope that you bring in your son, Jesus. God, we see the future that you're bringing about. We want it. We pray for it. We long for it, God. We pray that more people would come into it. And God, even as we see here in this passage, we see Jesus rejoices. It's not often that we see these words, but Jesus rejoices when the lost come to repentance and faith, when they turn to him. God, I pray that you would give us that same joy, that we would share in the joy that he has as we continue to call people into that. God, if there's anybody here this morning, that they would, they would hear this message of peace, that Jesus has extended them his favor. God, may we receive that. May we know that we are walking in the year of the Lord's favor. And God, may you continue to bring people to yourself. Would you even use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.